Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm Chuck. This episode is brought to you by Lower Gentry Studios. Lower Gentry Studios is a film production company that specializes in high-quality productions at a low cost. Lower Gentry Studios has an upcoming web series titled Canyon County that you'll be able to see on YouTube this December. Subscribe to their channel to get notifications of new episodes of Canyon County as well as new episodes of this podcast. Today I chat with Scott McIntosh, editor of Idaho Press. We talk about news that the Idaho Press has broken over the years as well as how important the role of local news and journalism is in the Treasure Valley. If you want to subscribe to a paper that puts national headlines behind the front page, you can visit IdahoPress.com. Ten bucks a month gets you a daily paper and access to their online articles. Enjoy the podcast. We're on the record. All right. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, you recently gave a talk here with uh, Idaho Press. Yep. No longer Idaho Press. Tribune. Yep, we dropped the Tribune. Okay. Yep. That's that's fine. Yep. <laughs> was there was there a decision behind that as far as yeah. marketability or? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, as part of our expansion into the Boise market, we um, we uh, went with a, a marketing firm to kind of talk about our image, and um, and they recommended that we we drop the Tribune and go with Idaho Press. You know, our website is already idahopress.com. A lot of people refer to us as Idaho Press anyway. And it's just cleaner and quicker and sleeker, so we kind of went with it. And once you get that digital real estate, it's easier to go that direction than have things confusing where people look things up online. Right. Mostly, it, anyway. It's quick, IdahoPress.com. Cool. Yep. Uh, so a couple things. You gave a chat recently about the future of media. Um, you work in the newspaper business, and you guys are expanding. Yeah. Which is different. Yep. I would just about imagine. Yeah. I suppose percentage-wise, you're one of the few in the nation, I would just about guess, that's out there buying other yeah. real estate, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting time right now in the newspaper business. Um, and yeah, definitely, <clears throat> you know, I've been in the newspaper business for 25 years now. Um, and um, what I'm doing now with hiring reporters and expanding and buying the Boise Weekly and... Um, uh, growing our circulation is um, is unusual in our industry right now, um, but we we see a a market opportunity in the Treasure Valley mm -hmm. uh, with print, um, and um, I can give you the whole background of all that. But um, right now we are we we just opened a Boise bureau. We purchased the Boise Weekly um, just a, a month or so ago. We have. Four new side reporters. Um, Betsy Russell is our Boise Bureau chief, and she is a longtime Treasure Valley um, um, journalist, very well known, uh, covering politics and state legislature. And then we have we added three reporters. One was uh, Boise City Hall reporter Margaret Carmel, another reporter covering Ada County government, and another reporter covering Ada County cops and courts. Um, and then we have a sports reporter, Brandon Walton, who has done a phenomenal job covering Canyon County sports. He is now our Ada County sports reporter. Um, and then they're housed in the Boise Weekly office um, and um, just having a great time uh, covering Boise and Ada County. I was just looking at story counts and, um, you know, we're averaging – uh, around 400 stories per month, uh, locally written stories between Ada and Canyon County. Okay, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> there is news that goes on locally. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't think watching television or listening to the radio. 
Is that where you're finding your your niche? Is mm-hmm. is I'm just you know yeah. having consumed uh, a lot of different media. I've read papers. I haven't read. Uh, I've kind of turned a lot of my news off in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> since the well, since the election, since the precursor to the election, I've just kind of I grew very sick of it. It was like a slow dial back mm-hmm. on, on looking at those types of things, because I mean, there's a lot to go, to go into that. You, you probably know more yeah. about what's, what's, what's happening. And well, it's funny because, um, about a year ago I dialed back my newsfeed on Facebook. So, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of people I'm on Facebook and, and really, you know, I like the vacation photos and the, you know, photos of what you're having for dinner and, you know, what's your kid, your first day of school, that's what I think Facebook should be. And I found that my Facebook feed was getting filled with news, you know, just way too much, you know, I didn't want to see all that. And so I really, I stopped following a lot of news sites and, um, and Facebook really became much more enjoyable for me because it really was a time to connect with friends and, and share stuff with them and, and not get into political arguments and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, it may sound, uh, uh, self-evident, but I get all my news from newspapers, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, obviously during the day, you know, I have to keep an eye on what's going on and I, I go on Twitter and I see what, what's happening, um, locally, um, on Twitter and I still, you know, follow some sites on Facebook, uh, news wise, but, you know, maybe only two or three, um, because during the day I'm really busy and I don't have time to sit and read, you know, an article uh, for five minutes um, that that interests me. I uh, I wait for the next day's paper to come out and mm-hmm. I sit in the morning and I read my newspaper and, um, and you know, and this is part of the the strategy that we have at the Idaho Press is that we still believe that there are tens of thousands of people out there who still. Um, want to read a newspaper. And and I understand that not everybody gets it or shares in that um, that appreciation of the value of a newspaper. But for me, the basic value of a newspaper is that, you know, I, I like reading local, what's happening locally. And I think our niche <clears throat> in particular is local government watchdog. So we are at Boise City Council meetings. We're at Nampa City Council meetings. I saw you actually were recently at, uh, I mean, you, you've, your paper came out with a couple headlines as far as like with Mayor Kling yeah. and uh, all the changes that are going around, going on here in Canyon County, especially, uh, you know, with what to do with all the people coming in and yeah. how to handle that um, with the infrastructure. Yep. And and I think your, your news uh, that came up on my Google news feed mm-hmm. and, and it was the Idaho press that was that's good. on top of that. Yeah. Just so you know, yeah, personally, no, that's, I, that's, so I, I didn't, I mean, yeah, that yeah. makes sense to me now in hindsight. Yeah. That, and that really, good. you know, and that's our strategy going into this is that, um, you know, we, what we do best, uh, what we do better than anybody else is cover local government, you know, city council and school board meetings, um, uh, county commissioners, uh, Ada County Highway District uh, commission meetings may not seem like the most, uh, the sexiest thing to cover. But, you know, last week uh, there was police presence at the Ada County Highway District commission meeting and people got rowdy and got escorted out and um, over a, uh, um, a, a flap over open government um, 
public meeting laws. Um, so, you know, we feel that that is kind of what newspapers have always done best and what we continue to do best. And we still feel that a lot of people, particularly newspaper readers, that's what they want to read. That's what they are looking for when they subscribe to their local newspaper. They want to see what's going on with their local school board, and they want to see what their property taxes are doing, and they want to see, you know, why uh, uh, ACHD commissioners in in hot water right now. You know, they 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 want to know that there are reporters there at those meetings keeping an eye on what they're doing and looking at the budgets. And so, you know, we've just got out of budget season and we've written a lot of stories about uh, the the city of Caldwell budget and the Nampa budget. And we've got a story coming out about um, the, the property tax levy rates in, in Ada County. Um, so, you know, the experience of reading a newspaper for me is, you know, you want to read your, your local stories, but you also want to read you know, what happened at the Emmys last night and a little bit of your, you know, why is Tom Arnold uh, 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 in, 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 in the news for getting into a fight with Mike, Mark Burnett at the Emmys last night? You know, stuff like that. But, you know, there it is in a little brief on page two. Yep, got it. Good. I can move on. Uh, read national stories, you know, and, and international stories, you know, see what's going on in Syria and, and what's the latest with Trump. It's not going to be on the front page, but it's going to be in there and let you know what's happening the, with the tariffs. And and then, you know, I, I look at the weather page and, and I, I see what the weather is going to be like for the week. I'm good. So I, I see what it is and I know uh, what it's going to be like for the for the week. And then I move on to sports, and sometimes I'll see a story that I really want to read in depth, but I want to see how the Yankees did last night, and um, I want to see how CUNA did. I have a, a soft spot in my heart for for CUNA, always will, and just want to see how the boys' soccer team did last night. And so I, you know, check that out, and and I move on to the feature section and um, uh, the outdoors page, and and even the recipes, and and then I do the jumble every day, and. Um, I look at my horoscope every day and there are a couple comic comic strips that I like to read every day. And then, you know, my favorite section of the paper is the legal notices. So I see what's going on with the legal notices. Um, you'll, you'll be amazed at what you can find out in the, the legal notices. I would never skim those. Yeah, no, it's really, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, and so that's the whole, you know, that's the whole experience of reading uh, the newspaper. And that's kind of what we're trying to bring back. And uh, with heavy emphasis on on local news, and you know we've got folks in Boise. I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, this weekend who finally subscribed to the Idaho Press. He lives in Boise. Um, he really he doesn't watch a lot of TV, so he didn't see our ads. He's not on Facebook, so he didn't see our social media posts. Um, he didn't really know a lot about us, um, but he uh, subscribed last week, and I saw him this weekend, and he goes. I can't believe it. I can't believe how many local stories you have. I, 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 you know, never knew. I just thought that newspapers were dying and that's why I wasn't seeing any local stories, but you guys are like, it took me a long time to read your, your paper. Um, and this was on a Thursday that, you know, he was talking about. So, um, you know, the, the newspaper industry for sure has been, um, disrupted and it started with Craigslist, um, and the advent of the internet, um, uh, you know, 20 years ago with the internet. Um, and, um, our business model has definitely been affected and our revenues have, 
uh, been on the decline. You know, classified advertising was a huge, huge um, revenue stream for us. And that's, you know, pretty much almost all gone. There's there's still some, but but not nearly what it was before. Um, and, and advertising too, you have a lot of businesses who say, Hey, you know, I'm just going to start a website and, or a Facebook page and hope that people find me, you know, and, and that's their strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, and which is fine. They definitely need to be online, but if they're not doing print, um, uh, they're definitely missing a, a pretty important segment of the population. So there's no doubt that our, uh, our business model has been affected. Um, and the other thing too, is that a lot of people, like to think that, well, newspapers were slow to adapt to the internet. And I think it's, I actually think it's the exact opposite. I think we were way too fast to jump into the internet. And, and, you know, so I've been in newspapers for 25 years. My, I started in, in 1994 and this was the year before commercial internet. Mm -hmm. And so I've worked in newspapers before the internet existed. And, you know, every newspaper that I worked at, we were, you know, the number one website in the town that, that we were in. We were okay. the first to jump in. We were the first to put up a news website. We were the first to be putting up our content. And, well, you know, if people are can get it for free online, geez, I could save some money and not subscribe to my local newspaper anymore. I can still get the news online. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And... You know, now that we've told everybody that news is free, uh, people are very reluctant to pay for it. Um, and uh, digital, posting news on digital still has not been a sustainable business model. And will it ever be a sustainable business model? I don't know. I, I hope so, because I know that that's where we're going. But in the meantime, we still feel like there's a, um, a runway for print, that there's still revenue there's still an audience, there's still a market for a printed newspaper. And so our parent company, Adams Publishing Group, um, which they purchased us uh, in November, they've really made heavy investments in um, our newsroom and our news product. And we are adding reporters, uh, increasing pages, increasing editors, increasing sections in the paper, um, and our, our belief is that that's going to generate revenue and we're going to grow and actually grow uh, the newspaper and grow our, our circulation base. We've already added over 3,000 or probably around 3,500 new subscribers in just the last three months. Wow. Yeah. And you believe that, that uh, you made a couple interesting statements there about the local news mm -hmm. and then about uh, the fact, and I'm just imagining that the, the, the news papers themselves set the precedent of making the news the type the written news free on the internet almost as 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 a precursor to the difficulty in establishing value to that but then also the the variability of a national reporter versus a local reporter and being able to survive on that and i think there's a lot of different mediums that are suffering through that differentiation and then in experiencing kind of a rebirth through local mm -hmm. uh, interaction, you know, whether that be print, whether that be music, whether that be filming, any of those types of things. Um, so, I mean, can you, can you talk about, about the, uh, the local aspect a little bit 
yeah. in, in more detail and where you, I'm just guessing, maybe I'm wrong, that that might be something that you see in that future of the media yeah. talk that you presented. Yeah. Earlier. You know, anything that has value is, is, you know, is scarce. National news is not scarce. You no, know? <laughs> it I isn't. Mean, you know, Google Trump right now and how many stories would you get from how many different outlets? What is scarce is local news. Um, you know, I used to own the CUNA Melbourne News newspaper in CUNA, and um, I was often the only person at a city council meeting. And, <laughs> you know. Wow. And, and city council a lot of times really does interesting things, and they do things that are really important, and they do things that really affect people's daily lives, they, that affects their taxes, their pocketbooks, their way to get home from, from work, um, you know, their schools, you know, so there are things, and, and I was the only one sitting there in the room with the city council members or the school board members. And, you know, if I'm covering something that affects 13,000 people, well, that's going to have value that I am there reporting that and providing that information to those 13,000 people who are not sitting in the room with me. Um, so, so again, that's our niche and that's why we put, you know, our front page is almost always local. Um, um, you know, the first three, four, five pages of the newspaper are local stories, um, because that's, those are the stories that you can't get anywhere else. And we have this discussion every day, uh, just about, well, should we put this story? Should we put the Brett Kavanaugh story on the front page? Well, you know. Most people already know about it. Most people already read about it. Let's put the um, the Ada County Highway District Commission story on the front page because nobody else is reporting on that. We're the only ones. And so if, if people are making a decision about whether they're going to purchase a newspaper, um, well, they're going to go with something that they haven't seen already. And so that's kind of our strategy. And, our, and local is definitely the niche that we're going for. That's a good niche. I, I I like that because you, you can't. You're right. It's it's difficult to get to get local news in yeah. general. And television and radio have a limit. I mean, I'm sure you have a page limit, but I would imagine that it would be flexible based on the demand for the news to where you can get more people and more print put yeah. in place. Yeah, we were just we were just and really we are struggling with this because you know we do have a limited number of pages. We can't just you know run. 20 pages every day. We're kind of limited by the number of ads that we sell and that's that that determines how big the the section will be. Um, and so we it is finite in print and we try to provide local news, but we've got great nine great reporters, local news reporters who are just cranking out stories every day and we've got to get that those stories in the paper and then we also want to have room for for national. You know, we can't ignore the Brett Kavanaugh story. We mm -hmm. can't ignore the tariff story. We want to get those stories in. So every day we kind of look at the pages, and we say, "Oh, I think we need to take you know seven and eight pages, seven and eight, because we've got so many local stories." But that's only going to leave page nine for Wire or for national stories. So, you know, we're always having that discussion every day. How are we going to balance that? And you know, we 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 air on the side of local. We, we try to get as much local in as possible every day. And you have a priority with, uh, I mean, you get to, you, do you ultimately sit down and decide what you're going to, what's going to be in the paper? How do you make those calls? Yeah, we have a meeting. We have a couple of meetings every day. We have a morning meeting 
at 1030 where we sit around with the reporters and a couple of editors and we talk about the news of the day and what everybody's covering and we prioritize. So then we kind of go out and execute that game plan. And then at the end of the day at five o'clock, the editors get together and it's, you know, me and Holly Beach is our assistant editor. Tom Hess is our city editor. Greg Lee is our sports editor. Brian Myrick is our photo editor. Um, and we get together and we go over um, the list of stories that we have um, that we have produced that day. And we, you know, we have a discussion and who thinks that this should be on the front page? Who thinks that this should be on the front page? Should we put this uh, on A3? Should we hold this for next week? Or should we, you know, do we have to get this story in the paper tomorrow really quickly? Mm-hmm. And then we have that discussion and, and we go back and forth. And sometimes those meetings are five minutes. Sometimes they're half hour. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to figure out um, where everything should go. Um, and then we we come up with a game plan at the end of that meeting. And, and that determines what's going to be on the front page and what's going to be inside. Have you seen kind of a little bit of a tangent, but you had mentioned earlier, you you worked in the newspaper for business for a very long time, pre-internet, you said 94 mm-hmm. is when you started. Have you seen a, a connection between the increase in the internet and the, and the, and the uh, decline of, of local news? And is there a reemergence happening right now? Or what do people think that they are acting on a national level without understanding that not everybody's listening to their Facebook post? <laughs> well, I so I have a theory. Um, I believe that really there are two different audiences. I really believe that there is a newspaper audience and an online audience. And unfortunately, the stories that we are good at, the stories that newspapers are good at, do not translate well to an online audience. So when you think about what stories get the most clicks and get the most comments and get the most shares, they're usually, um, you know, not scandalous, but just they're, they're, they're a little bit clickbaity. They're not important, quote unquote, mm-hmm. important. Headlines. There's, there's a movie that I watched recently and I can't remember it now to save uh, my life. Uh, it was Kirk Douglas. It was an old black and white film where he was a newspaper man trying to do you know the movie i'm talking about he was yeah, he was yeah. running out of albuquerque and yep. then this guy was yeah. starving in a cave and ace in the hole ace in the hole yeah that's the one yep great movie yeah <laughs> it is a good movie and i was it, it was interesting because that came out like i want to say um in the 50s ish yeah and it was kind of that it gave a warning of Watch out for the headlines. Yeah. I had a note I wanted to talk to you too about about a lot of uh, what I'm seeing in the national news. Um, I like I, I get frustrated and I end up turning it off. It's that that reversal of this is what's happening nationally. Let me find one specific example of a person, just like Mr. Cave and Ace in the Hole, and let me tell their story in detail so that we're spinning the news to be for or against whatever point and then yeah. Bring it back. And I feel like it's pushing people to connect with an individual and then connect to the national news, mm-hmm. whereas we yeah. don't take time to vote for mayor, but we'll all line up to vote for Clinton or yeah. Trump. Anyway. Well, and that's what I, I always <laughs> say is that, you know, those elections, those non-presidential elections are probably more important to you personally uh, than some of these national elections. Now, you could make a different argument with uh, the 2016 election and how important that was. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, I think that the people should pay a lot more attention to their school board 
and their city council than they really necessarily need to with their with the president or their uh, their federal legislators, um, because you're you're talking about your your taxes, um, your your property taxes are affected immensely by your school board members, the decisions that they make, and the city council members. The decisions that they make affect you directly, uh, but I will say that you know I think you hit on a thing, a point about what I think we get criticized most for, and I think rightly so, is what do we focus on? It's not necessarily that we have um, you know a, a, an explicit bias, but an implicit bias of mm-hmm. well, why did you pick that person? So you found the one person who died of asthma because she couldn't afford an inhaler. Now, that's that's definitely an important story, and that's mm-hmm. illustrative of um, the issues of, of healthcare in this country. Um, but is that, is that, you know, if, if that's all you're focused on and not the broader uh, issues or uh, other other people affected differently, so, you know, are you interviewing people whose um, health insurance premiums have gone up uh, fivefold in the last two years? No, you're focused on that one person who couldn't afford health insurance to try to make your point. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that that happens. And I think it happens probably more on a national level than it does on a local level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is a, you know, it's an important point um, that I think as uh, members of the media, we need to be cognizant of. And I think to some extent, you know, we have declined in media literacy, but uh, to another extent, I think that we've actually, the people have gotten much more savvy uh, about media um, in some respects. You know, that's a, a double-edged sword, but, um, you know, I think that people kind of recognize that and, and call it out when they see it. And you were talking previously, I got you off on a uh, off yeah. on a side note, you were talking about the two different audiences. Yeah. And so you, you feel like the online right now is is more catered towards yeah. people that are consuming national. Well, and clickbait. Clickbait. And I, don't, okay. I, don't, I hate the word and clickbait. And is it even consumption at that point? I would I would just venture to guess not a, a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of people that, that, that interact online... If you're looking for interactions, you know, it seems like they, they're quick to interact yeah. um, and express their opinion rather than yeah. inform themselves based on what sentences thrown in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny because, you know, Facebook comments and Facebook debates are seldom useful. Um, and, and, you know, we have an editorial board at the paper and we meet every week and we go over um, uh, issues of the day, issues of the week. And... There have been times where we have editorial board members who I I like to say they've they formed a Facebook opinion. It's mm-hmm. a quick one-off, you know. It, it sounds right, but then if you start thinking about it a little more deeply and think down a couple more levels and think about um, another perspective to that same issue, um, you end up coming to a different conclusion. But that initial first jump to conclusion. Um, is usually what you see on Facebook. And there's never a uh, a nuanced discussion that, oh, I, I see your point. You know, it's never like that. It's always just like, and, and a lot of times you can tell that those debates are not even based on that they've read the story, that it really is the headline, that they've read just the headline. They didn't even click on the story. 
Um, and uh, I think NPR did one of those on on April Fool's Day a few years back. I don't know. Really? I don't know if you no, read I that. didn't. It was I, a, no. they had a they had one that you know forwarded it and it had like some ridiculous headline and then it said this is a joke. See who reads the article, and then you could scroll through if you wanted to share it. I mean, it was really good publicity for them to, you know, get kind of gotcha points yeah. and get some attention. But it was it was kind of funny. I mean, they definitely showed that that's possible, and you could see it in your own uh, friend and family list yeah. happening, which doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, and I've I've often thought we should just get off of Facebook altogether. It's just you know sometimes it just feels like such a waste of time. Um, you said you follow through, t- you follow to get news, um, a lot of people on Twitter mm-hmm. and how do you, how do you, um, because obviously I would imagine that you have to take a lot of tidbits of information and then try to figure out what is, unless you leave a lot of that to your reporters and your journalists to figure out what's worth, what's worth investigating. Or if you have any, any way, I suppose there's no shortcuts. You just got to educate yourself and think clearly, but if there's any way to like tease through some of that stuff and. Yeah, and Twitter is more like a, you know, a news tip, you know, it's like you, you heard somebody say something. And so, you know, and, and on Twitter, you definitely have your influencers and you have people that are reliable. And, you know, a, a lot of the police and fire agencies are on Twitter. And so that's, oh, okay. that's now because they're, you know, they're scanner. And back in my day when I'm not, you know, that old, but back in my day, we were scanner jockeys. We would listen to scanner, the police scanner all the time. And that's, that's, you know, that's what we were uh, listening to, to determine whether we're sending a reporter out to cover a car accident or a house fire or anything like that. But now it's all encrypted. Most of it is. And so it's really, you know, the police scanner is much less useful than it used to be. Um, And so sometimes the first time you hear about something will be uh, through Twitter. Um, Ada County Sheriff's Office does a really good job of tweeting out stuff, and Nampa Fire Department does a really good job, and Nampa Police Department does uh, is on social media a lot. Um, so, you know, and then there are other people, you know, there are other groups and, and people who are very active on Twitter that are kind of, they hear this and they hear that, and, and we, you know, we'll see and we'll say, oh, you know, maybe we should follow up on that. Um, and so for me, Twitter is a very good listening device. Um, just to kind of see what's what's happening out in the community. So you just kind of kind of keep your pulse on that, just in case something pops up that's yeah. of interest. You know, I'll okay. edit a story and and I'll you know I'll pull out my phone and you don't have a magic wand to like wave over certain headlines and dis- decide whether or not that's I <laughs> legitimate wish. news. I wish no, but but there are people who are reliable that you know um, mm. that you can rely on in the community who who generally provide reliable information. That's good. Yeah. So, um, what, uh, what is it? You kind of went over some of your, your meetings and, and, um, and you work with a lot of different people to plan your paper. It's good that you focus locally. Um, does that help? Does that help you deal with all of the chaos that's going on in the current political climate as far as, you know, the news? Do you feel like you're not suffering as, as many other agencies might be that are trying to make those appeals? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's our niche, you know, local is our niche and we just feel like nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is doing it as well. Um, you know, particularly in this day and age of social media and the internet, um, there, there's a, you know, again, having been in the business for 24, 25 years now, um, I remember the day when 
it wasn't news until it was in the newspaper, you know, and we broke news in the newspaper. Um, and people didn't find out about things until it was in the newspaper that morning. Um, and now, you know, that's a little bit of what has affected newspapers in particular is that it's, it's, um, it's deflated us a little bit. Well, if there's a house fire and three TV stations and two newspapers are on the scene and they're Facebook living it, you know, well, what's the point? What's the point of writing it up and, you know, getting it in the paper the next day? And so, you know, a, a big part of what drives uh, good journalists is the desire to break stories and to get something first before anybody else. And so by, um, you know, by being the first ones to tell everybody that the Canyon County commissioners are seeking a 2% raise and breaking that news and the first time that people heard about that was in the newspaper that morning, you know, that, that is, is, is gratifying for us as journalists, that we are the ones who are delivering that, that news. Now that kind of a story also does very, very well on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is, uh, some overlap, particularly with a story like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, we do, I, and I personally, you know, get satisfaction out of, um, you know, the Nampa City Council or Urban Renewal Agency sold the half block in downtown Nampa. You know, is that going to go crazy and viral on Facebook? No, but that's a really important story. It's very important for people that are in Nampa driving around on a daily basis and yeah. how that's going to affect them. Right. Um, and what's going to go in there. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, that that's something going back to the whole, you've got two audiences, you know, mm-hmm. people who read a newspaper. I think that's, I think that's why they read a newspaper. They read a newspaper for that, those stories, um, about what's going on with the local government. Now the people online, they might not click on that story or comment or be terribly interested in that story. And, you know, I think there's a reason that they don't subscribe to the newspaper because those kinds of stories do not interest them. Um, it was kind of sounds like prior the the newspaper was the the gatekeeper, and now you guys are going out there and finding some of those nuggets that just kind of like lie in plain sight that are almost lost in the noise with all of the media content and national stuff that gets thrown at everybody on a daily basis, and you know that device in their pocket. Yeah, almost. Do you get? Do you have some really good? How long have you been at the Idaho Press? Uh, almost five years. Five years in February. Do you have some really proud news stories that you've pulled out in the last five years? That oh, you, well, you had some. Yeah. I, well, I think the biggest, the biggest, and most important thing that we did was our work on the rape kits. So Ruth Brown, uh, who is now with the Statesman, she was uh, with the Idaho Press Tribune before, and. Um, Christina Lords, who is also now with the Statesman, was my assistant editor at the Idaho Press Tribune. Uh, she was reading the book Missoula um, about the um, rapes on campus um, in Montana. And uh, we were talking about that uh, one night. And so, well, you know, we have College of Idaho here and NNU here in Nampa. You know, why don't we check with the police departments and see how many, you know, uh, uh, rape uh, calls they get um, that they investigate. And so we had Ruth uh, work on that. And I'll, I'll make a long story short, but she ended up finding out that uh, police agencies uh, were 
or uh, uh, doing rape kits uh, for uh, women, and the number of kits that got tested to to for DNA and sent to the state lab were all over the board. The city of Nampa w- uh, was sending only about ten percent of their rape kits to be tested, whereas uh, cities like Meridian were sending ninety percent of their rape kits in to be tested, and. Um, we just kept on doing, we filed public records requests for cases and um, really found out that whether a rape kit got sent to a state lab for testing really depended on the individual agency and whether they felt like the victim was believable, um, whether they thought that it would lead to prosecution, uh, whether they felt they really needed to send it for, you know, testing. It was just kind of all over the place. And um and so Ruth wrote a really great uh, series of stories about it and interviewed police agencies all over the state. And she expanded her investigation all over the state. And after that, uh, Melissa Wintrell, representative from Boise, she uh, read that series and introduced legislation that required police agencies to either submit all of their kits for testing or at least report why they weren't and get sign-off from the prosecuting attorney's office as to why they did not need to submit it for testing. Um, And the city of Nampa had something like 90 untested kits just sitting on the shelf. So these were women who um, said they were raped, and they went through the process of having a rape kit done, an examination uh, done on them. Um, And those rape kits, 90 of them, over five years, just were put on a shelf and left to just sit there. Um, and the wow. law changed that. Yeah. And so our reporting uh, changed all that. The city of Nampa ended up deciding to go ahead and submit all 90 of those into uh, the state lab for testing. Um, Did any of the women experience justice after that? Well, we're still working on that. Okay. So that this is an ongoing story still. Wow. Um, yeah. So, it, so I, I would say that is one of those those stories, and and I will say that a TV station uh, was doing a story around the same time because you know the rape kits story was a national story and mm-hmm. it was uh, uh, coast to coast, and you know the backlog of rape kits and you yeah. know, there's all these rape kits and they can't be um, tested uh, quickly enough and there's a shortage of of forensics workers to to work on these rape kits and one of our local TV stations while we were working on our story and filing public records requests and getting this data one of the TV stations uh, did a story saying that um, the state lab does not have a backlog Idaho doesn't have the same problem that all these other states have. Isn't this great? And they did this story with graphics and showing well, not sending them in. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. And so that was, and so wow. then we came out with our story a couple months later or a couple weeks later saying, well, yeah, there's a reason there's not a backlog is because the police agencies aren't sending them in if they did send them in. And so now Idaho does have a backlog because we, these police agencies are sending all these uh, uh, kits in. And um, one of the pieces of legislation was adding funding for more, uh, lab workers to to process all these these rape kits. So well, good for the Idaho press. That, that, that just that, sounds like the executive branch doing what the judicial branch should be doing, mm-hmm. which is an unfortunate yeah. breach of many different levels of constitutionality. I guess the the word would I would just about imagine, but mm-hmm. I guess I don't. I don't yeah, don't it, know it all was the details. It was you know, and, and I would say not just. 
for me at the press at the Idaho Press Tribune, but that's probably the the, the greatest story that I've worked on in my journalism career to get that legislation passed and uh, expose a problem that was previously unknown. That's exactly, you know, why why we do this. Well, that's good. Yeah, good for the good for the paper. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. realize that. I mean, I had heard some some news, um, and I do remember all the national news about the the rape kits, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't. It just got lost. Yeah, in me. Yeah, um, on me. How long ago was that? Did it start? Oh, was that two thousand fifteen? I think our first story was at the end of two thousand fifteen, and then I think the uh-huh. first legislation came in two thousand sixteen. Well, good. Yeah. Do you have any other gems that you've pulled out recently? Oh, gosh. You're putting me on the spot. I am. Um, <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm very intrigued. That well, was, was... you know, uh, there's I, I wouldn't say anything on that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, just on a day-to-day basis, um, uh, looking at budgets. And, I, you know, I always, you know, we, we've been looking at the Canyon County budget and the City of Caldwell budget and... I do think that some of these budgets would just get passed and, and approved um, very quickly uh, if no one were covering them. But we start writing stories about them all of a sudden, well, let's table this for another, you know, let's have another public hearing or let's wait. And in fact, there was just a recent study that came out um, just a couple months ago. I think it was the Pew Center uh, for Research showed that um, cities where they had lost their newspaper um, the spending went out of control almost spending went up by five to 11%, something wow. like that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, and I definitely think just the fact that we're watching, I think that, you know, they know that, that we've got a reporter sitting there taking notes and writing down everything they say and requesting documents and know that that stuff is going to be in the paper the next day. Um, I think that says, oh, geez, maybe we should be a little more careful with the taxpayer dollars here. Um, and that there may be a little darn more... accountability. I know it. Look what that does to people. Yeah. Makes them act accountable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think just the mere fact that, that we're watching them and, and writing about it, um, just helps keep them on their toes. So subscribing to the Idaho press is a good way then to make sure, do you guys put notifications in on the, uh, what's happening locally in the paper as well? So if people on their schedule want to yeah, attend these types of meetings and, and get involved locally with politics and something that they can make a huge difference in. Yeah. And that's personally. something that, that I'm always, um, you know, telling the reporters, you know, let's get ahead of this story. Let's mm. get it in the paper that they're going to be discussing this on Tuesday or at Monday night city council meeting. If people want to uh, testify, um, you know, the horse park thing um, at the Idaho Center. So the city was proposing selling off a part of the Idaho Center property, um, uh, part of the horse park. And um, we just wrote a little story about it. Um, Gosh, I can't remember when that was. It was was probably a year, a year and a half ago in November of, must have been 2016, and um, just said that they were contemplating that. Well, the city got inundated with emails and letters from people who read that story said, you can't sell this piece of property. And I think it was something like 200 people showed up at the city council meeting because we had written that story saying that this was going to be happening. And I think if we hadn't done that, if we hadn't written that story, city council, I think would have just approved it. 
you know, because they're all talking among themselves. They didn't know that there was this contingent out there who would be upset by this. And then it would be after the fact and they would have, you know, sold the property without anybody really knowing about it. Um, so, you know, it's little things like that, that I, you know, we, that's what we work hard on every day. Um, where do you get your news sources or where do you get the, the, the news as far as those meetings are coming up? Do you have to call and ask how, how open are these? They're, they're pretty open, you okay. know, and, and city council, um, uh, Nampa, the city of Nampa, they email out their agendas, um, and packets. So, and, and really anybody can do it. They can go online and, and click on the link, um, for the packet for that city council meeting, and it'll have all the information, uh, line item and uh, supporting documents for decisions that they're going to be scheduled to make. And city of Caldwell as well um, does that. Um, and so they're they're so you've done you do that for Caldwell, you do it for Nampa, you're starting to do it for Boise as well. Mm-hmm. And then are you going to do you cover Meridian? Yep. For, okay. Well, and so we also have the Meridian Press is our newspaper, oh, okay. and that's a free weekly newspaper. And Patty Bowen is our Meridian reporter, and I mean she is on top of it. She is, she's at just about every meeting, planning and zoning meeting, and city council meeting, and um, just does a really great job of of making sure that 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 she's watching out what they're doing. And Meridian is very transparent as well. Um, so you know, I would say that that for the most part. Um, the cities do um, a good job of letting people know, of providing that opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether people take advantage of that opportunity or not uh, is up to the people. But I think the cities do a good job. The counties, on the other hand, uh, you know, Canyon County probably doesn't do as as good a job as they should. As far as making sure that everybody's aware of what's... Yeah, they have mm-hmm. meetings that, that don't have an agenda, Um they have this thing called an elected officials meeting, and they don't really say what they're going to talk about. And uh, our reporters have learned that that's the meeting you want to go to because that's usually the time that they talk about, oh, let's build uh, uh, steel trailers and put female inmates in there. You know, that's how we found out about that at an elected officials meeting that didn't have an agenda. Um, so, you know, well, can you go into more detail about that story? Oh, yeah. So the like uh, Cannon County. Has has an overcrowding issue in the county jail. You know, the county jail has been um, a a problem almost since the day it opened, um, and it's it's had all sorts of problems, and it's not laid out well, and it's not built very well. And well it's kind of like another national news story yeah. that's hitting home locally. Right. I have uh, police officers in my family throughout the country, and they all kind of complain, and uh, correctional officers too that I'm, that I know well. Right. And it seems like you just can throw a throw a dart at the US map and you run into a area with prison issues, jail right. issues. Yep. But anyway, continue. Yeah, and um and on top of that, they are experiencing overcrowding and one of the things uh, we found out is that the female inmate population is is spiking right now for Interesting. whatever reason. Yeah. Do they have like a crime that they're connecting with that? Cuz that's pretty unusual. About half of them is drugs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So nonviolent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, drug crimes uh, is is accounts for uh, about half of the female inmate population, and so uh, in a typical year or on a typical day, they would have as many as thirty or forty female inmates in the county jail. Well, now it's up to over a hundred every day, um, and so that's exacerbating the problem at the county jail, particularly the overcrowding issue. And so they came up with a solution to. Um, 
contract with a company out of Missouri to build uh, their, their basically steel cargo trailers and converted into um, housing for female inmates. And um, they're going to build, they're going to put uh, 22 of these um, units in the parking lot of the Canyon County Jail and um, move all the female inmates into these um, these these trailers. Premium parking yeah. spots. Yeah, I don't know. The parking <laughs> might be, you know, maybe somebody should build a parking garage out there. To, uh, wow, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, the population growth, it's really an important time, I think, to get involved locally because this Treasure Valley is the fastest gro- growing area in the country, which that made national news. I think that was yep. not like, what, like six months ago? Yeah, if that. yeah a couple months ago. Yeah, and, and it's, I would just imagine that with the increase in population, the increase in people consuming illegal drugs has also come right along with it. And if that's, if there are certain areas that are uh, experiencing, if that if that's where the drug trafficking is happening, I wonder if that's connected somehow. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think uh, crimes are up you know, across the board and, and, and drug crimes certainly, uh, are part of that. And, you know, we just had a story in the paper this week about justice reinvestment. Um, actually say Tuesday. Yeah. We had it in today's paper. Um, uh, the justice reinvestment in- initiative seeking to get nonviolent offenders out of the prison system and into parole and probation and rehabilitation, um, is and, this is this a local? And so that's a movement? state. So okay, that's state. a state um, okay. issue. But you know that affects yeah. the the jail population. And in fact, Treasure that's what, Valley probably more than um, most other areas of the state because of the huge population increase. I would just about imagine. Right, right. And so the the state is looking at a five hundred million dollar proposal to um, uh, expand the prison system, including building a, a new prison, a fourteen hundred. Well, wow. Uh, I think 1,400 bed prison. Okay. Um, you know, so we're talking about 500 million dollars, a half a billion dollars. That's uh, a pretty decent to amount of money in the prison system, and not you know, a lot of people in Idaho. <laughs> and and think about what you could do with 500 million dollars mm-hmm. um, in terms of drug rehabilitation or drug treatment programs, um, uh, instead of um, putting people in prison. And you know, they're at the same time they're talking about. Uh, getting rid of mandatory minimums and looking at sentencing reform, um, and you know, so it, it's a it's a big debate, and it, it it trickles down right to the 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 local level. And Canyon County is looking at building a two hundred million dollar jail um, to replace the current jail. Wow! So you know, you want to talk about things that are going to affect your your pocketbook. You know, these are really important issues that are going to affect everybody's tax bill. Yes. And I feel like there's a tradition and I'll I'll speak here. You don't have to chime in if you don't want to, but there's just a kind of a tradition if you have government in place and they continue along a path, unless there's somebody to kick them into gear, they're not going to change. They're not going to shift course um, as long as they find a way to continue to trudge forward with whatever direction that they initially started rather than taking the time to look back on it and and take input and, you know, a decision that they made 10, 20, 30, 40, however many years ago. Yeah. They might just continue to apply today without taking into account any changes in the climate, uh, the social climate, political climate. Well, in some ways, the easiest thing to do is to build a $500 million prison. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. you just build it, 
you spend the 500 million bucks and you just continue doing what you're doing. And that's, you know, in some ways that's the easiest solution. The harder solution is sentencing reform or um, changing drug laws, uh, drug Getting pro- programming involved. So I worked with, uh, I worked with kids. I was a social worker for years here in Canning County. So I got to experience some of that um, firsthand as far as working with some of the teenage clients and then seeing, you know, the the difference between sending them away to juvenile uh, detention facilities versus trying to figure out what's going on. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different underlying issues there. Usually the drugs aren't aren't the problem. If they go to see a counselor, it's not that they have a drug addiction. It's something that's leading them to a drug addiction. So we're working on a story right now, Emily Lowe, our cops and courts reporter, is working on a story right now about these adverse childhood events ACE. okay this is really a hot thing right now and and um there's some movement locally from a couple of different groups including the idaho youth ranch is really big on this um that they are there's such a strong correlation it's a direct proportion of aces to later problems uh you know mental illness drug abuse especially yep um criminal justice system you know just all sorts of things and so the idea is you either try to mitigate those ACEs it early on to try to, you know, educate parents to, to try to minimize those, or if you recognize that a kid has these ACEs, treat them differently. So rather than send him to detention because he messed up in school, well, figure out why he lashed out in school. Why did he get in a fight? Why did he, you know, yell at the teacher? Why did he, you know, throw his pencil across the room? You know, don't just send him to detention, come up with some other avenue for figuring out what's going on with this kid. So a lot of interesting stuff um, going on, you know, that that really is looking at the root causes. Um, and is it, would it be smarter to spend $500 million in that early intervention than it is to just build another prison? And then alleviate future problems, hopefully. Well, right. It's, it's expensive. It's cheap to give, it's cheap, quote unquote, to give kids, you know, counseling for a few years you know, at a young age um, versus continually having them go through the system over mm-hmm. and over and over again until they end up, you know. Yeah. And they, you know, leaving, they... living with room and board. Right. <laughs> living with room and board on the state's dime. Yeah. You know, yeah on our, mon- our, our dime because exactly. we don't want to help. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the, the ideal is that that would actually be a cost savings in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend the money up front and you don't have to spend the money later on. And the social issue, I mean, it's just tough. The social issues are very difficult. I think there's a lot of different things that uh, we look at, um, you know, like Medicaid is a huge, uh, a huge boost. Uh, I mean, it's, it's different. Idaho is a, I really like Idaho living in this state. It's got a, a good mix of um, the conservative values for the most part are just kind of leave people be from what I've run into, you know, but the drug thing is kind of, kind of a different, a different paradigm, I think, because there's still that wanting people to make the right decision. And then that black and white switch of this is a bad thing, you know, versus not a bad thing. And then associating that with other, other crimes that might be violent and, or, um, affecting another person. Um, it's, it's such a tough issue because, I feel like a, a lot of the the recent history has been national intervention on that level. 
you know, f- helping people out in poverty uh, through programs like like Medicaid and, and food stamps. And I don't see a lot of connection. And maybe that's just me as far as like, unless you look at churches and the way that they interact with people, as far as like the, the community coming and getting involved in those issues, which would be a much more effective and targeted effort when it comes to social intervention, I believe. I, I, I don't know if you see anything different on the horizon. That's good that you're doing some reporting about the, about the prison system. Yeah. You know, and, and and again, these are, you know, quote unquote liberal kind of ideas. And I mm. think in a conservative state, what I think people like, you know, at the Idaho youth ranch or other organizations that are trying to advocate for these things, they're trying to say, you know, this can still be a conservative idea because you're going to be saving money Yes. You know, so it's a fiscally sound thing to do. Economic conservative values versus socially conservative values rather than intertwining the two. Right. Trying to tease those apart at a local level to be able to to help people people and also save tax money. Well, and and here's the thing, you know, the the conservatives and Republicans tend to, um, you know, espouse personal responsibility. And that's one of their uh, great... Uh, platforms is personal responsibility. And so they tend to see that if somebody is not, that if somebody is addicted to drugs or alcohol, um, well, they're failing in their personal responsibility. And, you know, to help them is just, you know, some liberal, uh, you know, bleeding heart, just give away government money. But I think what, what there's a, there's, becoming a realization that, well, if, if somebody is, is not upholding their personal responsibility, uh, that has an effect on all of society. So if they're addicted to drugs, yeah, sure. That's their problem and whatever. And they, you know, need to take care of that. But if they're going and robbing your house Mm -hmm. to get money for their drug addiction, well, that affects you now. So now that has an effect on all of society. And so, you know, you may not want to help this person and they just need to buck up and have personal responsibility. But, you know, if it's affecting all of society, you know, that's something that maybe, you know, we need to look at. As, do you think that there's going to be a change? Uh, I hope that the local news trend continues. Do you think that there's going to be a change as far as the, uh, as far as the community is concerned? Um, I don't know if you've seen a change here. I've lived here for about 10 years, but mm-hmm. um, it's just since like the eighties and then, growing up in the in the 80s and early 90s i feel like communities have become more isolated do you see any correlation between the two the, those two things changing uh do you have a, are you in agreement with anything that i'm saying right now yeah you know it's funny because you know you, you i think you're you definitely are getting a more and i don't know if this is what you're referring to but i think there's definitely a, a more liberal bent obviously to Boise and I think it's increasing. So I think people who have more of a liberal bent will move to a place like Boise. I think that, you know, you have a lot of people moving to Idaho because they're conservative. So Mm -hmm. I'll meet people from Pennsylvania or New Jersey or California and you'll think, oh, okay, well, this is East Coast liberal coming to Idaho, California. Here's a California liberal. Well, the reason they left New Jersey or or California or Pennsylvania is to because Idaho is conservative. And so, you know, the in-migration 
of Californians and people from other parts of the country doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a liberalization of Idaho. In fact, um, it actually might mean that there's going to be it's that Idaho is going to become more conservative. Now, I do think that there are some people who are moving to Boise from places like Seattle or Portland or California, um, and finding that you know that they that they are more liberal and they're finding that they can still have a place in in the cities. You know, I think the the big question is, will places like Meridian and Nampa become more liberal? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people who are watching, you know, how those state legislative races go. Is it going to become more Democrat than, than Republican? So far, it's not, it, you know, in a lot of ways, it's become, you know, Democrats lost more seats um, in the state legislature last go around. And so oh, wow. it'll be interesting to see how it goes this time around in November, um, because you do have Medicaid expansion uh, on mm-hmm. the ballot, which is probably going to bring out um, some more Democrats. Paulette Jordan, if her campaign gets back on its feet, you know, will probably energize uh, a more liberal base um, in Idaho. And so it'll be interesting to see if um, more liberal folks come out to the polls uh, in November. That's going to be, yeah. I think it'll be an interesting, it's going to be a very interesting election. And there's been a huge change, I think, just in the last, it it feels like a huge change population-wise just in the last six months to a year here in in Idaho, but maybe it's just my neighborhood. (laughs) Well, and I think it's it's getting more attention. You know, I think the rising home prices um, has been getting so much attention, so much news and so much... um, um, uh, attention from the media that I, I think it, it's making it seem like a really big, big issue. And, you know, definitely, mm-hmm. we're definitely the fastest growing. Um, and and it certainly has brought it, it, its problems. Um, but I, I, I think it's been a steady, it's been a steady increase over the past, you know, I don't know, four or five years. And we might have just had the, the, the road infrastructure to be able to handle it up until a few months ago. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> might be one of the main issues that it starts to become more noticeable in a, in a short span of time. Yeah. Transpo- you know, yeah. Transportation and education are the two big problems with growth that I think mm-hmm. we haven't figured out. And I think they're just going to get worse um, the more we grow. And so the Idaho Press is a good is a good source to be able to keep up on on all of those changes as they occur and, and make sure that you're informed so, informed so you don't miss out on. I believe so. That. I think, yeah, I think that's what, that's our role and that's what we're going to continue to do. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been, it's been about an hour. Wow. So that was fast. I know it does go pretty quickly, but yeah. uh, I thank you for coming on and uh, IdahoPress.com yep. to uh, sign up for yep. a delivery. And what does it run? It's $10 a month. Oh, wow. And, um, that's whether you get the printed paper or you just want to do digital or you want to do Sunday only. It's it's $10 a month. Excellent. And you can pick up uh, the, you said the Meridian Press is uh, available throughout Meridian? Yep. Yeah. 15,000 households throughout Meridian delivered free. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so. then you also, the Boise Weekly. Boise Weekly. We just purchased the Boise Weekly and uh, we have plans to insert that into the Idaho Press so that subscribers of the Idaho Press will also get the Boise Weekly. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's a solid, that's a solid little paper for us. If you're living in Boise, as far as um, knowing what's going on on the weekend, for yep. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that's yourself entertained. Yep. yep. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Scott. Well, I appreciate thanks, you. Thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Awesome. Thanks. All right.